Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. And to our recap of Community episode, uh, season five, episode seven, Bondage and Beta Male Sexuality. Hey, hey. So I'm Mark Lee. I'm going to be your uh, host for this uh, edition of this uh, Community Recap. And I'm joined by Matthew Rather. Hey, Matt. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm pretty good. Matt, as far as I know, you're not a ghost. But if you were a ghost, I might be uh, inclined to hear what you have to say about those other ghosts that are out there. Uh, Matt, are you a ghost? Sitting, I I mean, would you believe me if I told you? I'm not sure what to believe anymore, Matt. Um, (laughs) Yeah, okay. So I think we're going to want, definitely going to want to talk about the C-plot of this episode, which is Chang's, like, uh, sixth sense shining ghost journey into uh you know into plumbing his existential depths but i think we have to uh, examine the other two a and b plots uh, where other characters explore the ex- existential depths plumb the uh the, ex- the depths of their ex- ex- existential crises uh, in what was a uh what's the best way to describe this a very dense a very intense episode of community how would you describe this episode matt yeah a fuster clock of of epic proportions no i mean i in a uh, in a good way or no, no it was way? it was a it was a good way you know i i rewatched this episode which you don't always always have to do because uh community sometimes like wears its structure on its sleeve and is pretty upfront with uh with what it's doing and it's it's sort of nice uh, i i won't say refreshing because there's a lot about the show that's that's refreshing and this is not particularly refreshing but it's sort of nice uh in a like uh in an era where a lot of tv meaning is kind of pre-chewed for your enjoyment um to have something that is that is a little more open-ended a little more um uh, uh a little less rather insistent on what it but yeah. what it actually what it actually means, and I think in in all three plots, uh, the C plot especially, because you get you get the sense that in the A and B plots there are like very important lessons that the characters are learning about themselves and love and life and friendship and love and friendship and life and activism. Uh, but in the in the C plot, like it's it's just a little it's a little strange as to to what's going on and the relationship. You know, sort of the relationship between that, uh, the relationship between that and the other plots, because we like to sort of imagine that these things are running on parallel tracks. And because of that sort of Dan Harmon story circle, um, if you're not watching the video, I'm making a circle with my fingers, which is just one of the many innovative ways that we use the visual medium here on the Overthinking at TV Recaps. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, you imagine with that, showing our handsome faces, right? <laughs> handsome faces and our male pattern baldness. Well, at least most of us, not you, sir, but, uh, uh, the, uh, many of the rest of us, um, what, uh, what you get right is, uh, these very tightly coupled, um, a, B and C plots that seem to run on, that seem to run on sort of the same fuel. And, uh, in the C plot here, it's, it's unclear, as to uh, it's unclear as to what that really is. I mean, is the ch- is the Chang plot just weird, uh, kind of weird and funny, in a uh, in a very media referential way, or is there more more to it than that? You think is as far as character development goes. So uh, I really want to come back to this after we 
had a chance to discuss the A and B plots sure. and you know their meaty substance. Um, just very quickly, right now, before we have that conversation, I'm inclined to say it's more sort of like weirdness for the sake of weirdness. As almost like, you know, the A and B plots are so uh, much about emotion and character development. Like the C plot is there just for like straight up weirdness to balance out the rest of the episode. That's my theory for what's going on. So before I give you a chance to uh, keep discussing that, Matt, I'm going to take us back to the A plot, take us back to the beginning here um, and talk about the Britta, Duncan and Jeff plot. So um, I assume that you've already seen this episode. I'm talking about you, the viewers and listeners out there, uh, because if you haven't, it's going to be really difficult to follow what's going on here. But just a very quick synopsis of the, the, the sequence of events that actually happened in the A plot. Right. The, the gang goes out to. A, uh, a a socially conscious piece of theater, um, you know, for what is it? It's like abject poor children with cleft palates. You know, yeah. Know how much more pathetic, pitiful does that get, right? Um, you know, and, uh, and and Britta confronts her activist friends um, and has a, a, a sort of a crisis of self-worth about what it is that she's accomplished with her life. Meanwhile, Professor Duncan is trying to seduce Britta and Jeff has sort of given him uh, reluctantly given him permission to do so, uh, but Jeff has also rekindled some feelings for Britta and gives Duncan, Professor Duncan, a, a one-hour uh, window upon which to try to take Britta home, which he succeeds in doing, but only because Britta has uh, lost all of her self-confidence and is uh, completely lacking in self-esteem. And rather than take advantage of Britta, uh, Professor Duncan does the right thing and uh, just takes her home. Um, as, uh, as as he puts it, is you know to go home and handle the existential crisis by yourself. So let me start actually with that question right there. Now, Matt, I don't know if you've ever had any existential existential crises, uh, crisis and a crisis or crises plural, but um, I was a little bit surprised by this being the advice to give to Britta. Um, now, clearly, the idea is that you know we don't want. You don't want to make Professor Duncan something of a redeemable character and don't want to make him a total sleazeball and give him some progress, you know, in this whole story circle idea of Dan Harmon's. Um, so that's clearly one of the reasons why that is the piece of advice given. But the other is, you know, part of this whole Dan Harmon and the ravioli thing like that is in some ways his uh, advice to us in some weird way, uh, having an existential crisis uh, be by yourself and handle it. What is your take on that piece of advice. Well, it's not, it, it's, it's, I think it's a little different than the way you're putting it. I think that, that, um, that John Oliver in the uh, professor Duncan in the episode puts it a little differently. He says that, uh, it's okay to be by yourself, right? It's, it's not necessarily go off and be by yourself and, and, uh, solitude is, is always the answer. It's that you're not diminished by your solitude, which is a related, but distinct claim. I think, right? Like, it's, you know, especially for Britta when, when what's at issue is, you know, she, she, as much as says, uh, you know, uh, had you hit on me even a little bit, I'd be going home with you right now. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in those moments, in those moments of sort of, uh, you know, extreme neediness, right? Like, uh, it's, it's sometimes important in like an opportunity for growth to, to recognize that solitude is an option and that, that it's okay that you're sort of whole by yourself without, uh, necessarily needing, um, needing all, uh, all these people around you to validate you. Yeah. It's like, it's like the speech she gives the toast at the thing, you know, like, don't listen to all these people or don't listen to me, listen to yourself and tell yourself 
the truth. But the show still is called Community, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to bring that up there. Right? That is sort of a, a, a counterpoint to the broader uh, point of the theme, the broader theme of the entire show, the entire corpus of work, right? Which emphasizes belonging with others, right? With this, whereas in this episode, Britta's less needs to learn how to belong just to herself, right? Well, yeah, and Britt is the one who sort of defines herself against ideas and, you know, her version of of being an activist is sort of F the man. Uh, you know, it's always sort of in relationship to an agency outside of herself. And that that is um, one way <laughs> to go through life, certainly. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I think what's being suggested here is that um, that you're out of balance when that is. Uh, uh, you're out of balance when <laughs> you're out of balance when you're uh, just totally in um, uh, uh, totally responsive to other people. I think you're also sort of out of balance when you dreamatorium like are kind of projecting a whole world around you and it's and you're you sort of are all alone and imagine that's all you need. Right. And maybe that's a maybe that's a uh, one way that the Chang plot is pegged to the uh, to the themes of the main plot. Sure. Yeah. OK. I'm sorry. I'm starting to see that. Um, so I want to get back to uh, this idea of the story circle, which you've already brought up a couple of times and uh, analyze this particularly with regards to Professor Duncan. So we right? should go now. Wh- I'm, why don't you unpack a little bit about yeah, about the story? And I'm, I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the finger gesture again, just so everyone is aware uh, so, so that if, if people haven't heard of like Dan Harmon's story circle, they know what what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm synopsizing uh, extremely here and it's uh, it, it's not so complicated. thing. we'll link to this. We've probably linked it before in previous episodes. We'll link to it again. The general sense of it is that like it's similar to the idea of the hero's journey. Um, that influences so many action movie plots. But in the context of a Dan Harmon comedy, it's basically that characters go through a journey. They encounter challenges. They are shaken out of their status quo. They change. They return back to where they were before, but having changed in some way, right? So I interpret this as being some balance between like this idea of a of a lot of comedies where you have this sort of stasis. You have, you know, the characters and the situations kind of staying the same, and that's what we relate to, and that produces a lot of comedy, but it still allows for an element of drama in it where people actually develop as characters and move themselves forward. Is that a fair um, assessment of it, Matt? Yeah, and, and it's related. It's related to the hero's journey. It's a sort of, uh, it's a sort of film useful uh, way of 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 um, <laughs> kind of digesting and and metabolizing the hero's journey. Yeah, and so um, I'm thinking about this with particularly with Professor Duncan, right? Like, I, I, so you know, he has gone from this journey where he starts out as total sleazeball, right, willing to take advantage of Britta. And at the end, doesn't, right? Because he has learned something about himself. He has, uh, you know, realized that he needs to do the right thing and not sleep with Britta here, right? So I, I think with that within the context of the single episode is really understandable. But I'm curious to think about, like, the next time this sort of situation comes up or the next time we see Professor Duncan, like, to what extent is he going to be a sleazeball in a way that seems uninformed by the events of this episode? Or to what extent is he uh, going to show some of that progression. What do you think, Matt? I'm sorry, I was reading about the story circle online. What, uh, so your question is is about Duncan and what um, whether he's going to sort of be a nice guy going forward? Yeah, or, you know, to the extent that he's not going to be a nice guy, is he somehow going to be... Um, uh, 
is is his sleaziness going to be dialed back a bit because of what we've seen? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 what we've seen is his um, is the sort of essential is the sort of essential sadness uh, behind his sleaziness, right? And so even if his sleaziness, yeah. even if the, the behavior doesn't change, um, I think that our relationship to, to the behavior, uh, is changed because it's, I mean, the, the, the title of the episode, which we haven't brought up yet is, is bondage and beta male sexuality bondage, I suppose, referring to the, um, uh, referring to Abed getting handcuffed to a file cabinet, but beta male sexuality referring to the idea that like all the people, all the men anyway, in this episode are sort of measuring themselves up, um, against something and, and failing. And it, it really is about, it is really an episode about men and about, masculinity and and men's conception of themselves uh for that reason annie and shirley just check out and uh and britta is there mostly um uh though she has some some uh arc to herself she she's there mostly as sort of an object for uh, an object of of uh competition for uh uh duncan and jeff right yeah, you know, to work out their issue. Yeah. Right. And then she disappears, you know, and the real, you know, the real uh, sex scene that they, they actually kind of call out as being like, well, this is sort of the sex scene, not in a gay way, but it's like a bro love scene, you know, is um, is uh, Jeff and Duncan when it's like, you know, let's go back and not have sex with anybody else together. Right. And it's sort of it's and that's sort of echoed in a slightly less intimate register in uh, Mike Ehrmantraut and Abed, uh, you know, say, uh, uh, saying, um, well, you, you do drink scotch. No, well, you're you're going to. Right. You're about to. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that, you know, so Mike Ehrmantraut character being Professor Buzz Hickey in this. Right. I thought you were saying that they're sort of non sex. Uh, was going to be the the potential that they will collaborate on their creative projects together, right? Yeah, and that they're going to be and sort of bit. generative. They're going to be generative that way, not generative of you know children, but sort of generative of of creativity. And you know, and the idea the idea is that this kind of ties into a lot of longer uh, arcs in the the serial narrative about. Troy going away with LeVar Burton and uh, getting shipwrecked and marooned on a desert island. I forget exactly what happened to them. But, um, you know, Abed sort of... Captured by pirates, I think, is, yeah. is where we last left them. Uh, and Abed um, sort of uh, looking to return to some sense of to some sense of normalcy, right? Like, and... and uh, doing it in in the kick puncher in the kick puncher movie and you know abed providing um uh i don't know sort of structure and analysis and buzz providing uh this substance thing right yeah yeah so um where to talk where to start there's a lot of stuff going on here right um first of all let's, let's point out the obvious in case um People missed it. Like, you know, Kick Puncher has always has been a long running reference in the show, mostly to Robocop uh, and mostly more specifically, mostly to Robocop's really bad sequels. Right. Two and three. 
that have sort of that tumbled down to B-movie territory. Um, there's a little bit of Terminator missing there for sure, but it's mostly RoboCop, right? And uh, I love how they just sort of took advantage of the time, convenient timing of the RoboCop reboot, right? For uh, Abed to uh, to reference a Kick Puncher reboot um, while uh, wanting to stick to the old school costume. I thought that was a really nice touch. Uh, on a side note, I know what I'm going to Comic Con dressed as next year. That Kick Puncher costume was was pretty inspired. And just, original, you know, original, so original Kick Puncher yeah, though, right? Not not new. Oh yeah, kick yeah, 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 yeah. They no, shouldn't no, have no. changed that costume. No, no, no. No, no, no. The the black, the sexy tactical kick puncher. No, nobody wants that. That's not what kick puncher is about. But Matt, tell me, what is kick puncher really about? Uh, well, I don't know. I think loneliness. I mean, I think a lot of these things are sort of proxies, (laughs) (laughs) proxies for Abed sort of. Feeling partly yeah, mechanical, like, yeah, this, right? This, like this, the yeah, the the kick puncher is a robot and he's alienated from from mankind, right? Yeah, and and a lot of it is how you know a lot of it is how Abed feels, right? Like Abed names a character Police Justice. You know, he's sort of think he's sort of thinking in ideas <laughs> and not in uh, uh, not in sort of human terms, not at a at a human scale, right? Police Justice. This, I think it was like only one degree slightly removed from uh, the, the things that we actually see, uh, you know, a Hollywood cliche gurgitated up onto screen without um, without the self-awareness that Abed and the show community have. Right. I mean, like no ready example comes to mind. Like uh, I'm, I'm inclined almost to say Judge Dredd, but that's not a really good example because that uh, I think has a high degree of self-awareness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so. Um, taking this in a little bit different direction, I think um, one of the things that really struck me about uh, the Buzz Hickey and Abed connection that they had was they both of them realized that uh, creativity done in a vacuum is really deficient, is lacking. And, uh, and you know, in other words, that, you know, Buzz Hickey's duck cartoons um, were repetitive and highly cynical without um, and, and missing some sort of uh, element that moved things forward. Um Abed's police justice script was missing in um, uh, 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 all the things that, you know, Professor Hickey's actual police experience could could bring to it. And it just overall was um, kind of a hackneyed uh, cliche of movies. Uh, That's the exact sort of thing that Abed loves to um, uh, loves to. Uh, loves to uh, criticize and and you know is highly aware of. So both of them uh, on their own in their vacuums were not able to uh, reach the uh, to take their creative visions and make the most out of them, right? But together, uh, one might even perhaps say in a community, hmm. they might actually be able to, to to do something more with them, right? I mean that's that's hitting a pretty that uh, nail pretty hard on the head there. But that's I mean the, that's it's the show. You know, very much wearing its itself on its sleeve at that moment. Yeah, it's well, it's about it's sort of about self disclosure, right? Like Mike wants to lock it. I keep calling him Mike Ermintrout, um, and he's going to be Mike Ermintrout again in in Better Call Saul. Uh, but he's a uh, 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 Professor Hickey um, wants to like lock his cartoons away. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, I mean, I also wonder if this is another parallel to Chang. I mean, sort of telling his story about uh, South Korea. What does he say? Like, uh, um, or Hong Kong. Uh, uh, You know, I forget the city he he says he's in. Um, 
1936, something, 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 uh, and starts telling a story. It was Hong Kong, which, by the way, is an interesting biographical note, being that it, it suggests that Professor Chang is of Chinese descent, while Ken Jeong, the actor, is of Korean descent. Mm. Um. Um, the, uh, the, the, uh, that must be why I confused the two. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, but right, like he's telling his, his story, uh, to a, to an empty audience, right. To an audience of ghosts. And, uh, uh, you know, that this is a, this is another kind of like, uh, creative activity that doesn't involve, doesn't really involve, uh, self-disclosure, right. That, that is just mm-hmm. sort of, uh, that is just sort of solitary, Right. Like, I don't know. The, the thing about being solitary, the, the, the good thing about it is that it, it brings you, it brings you back stronger, uh, into relationships and into, you know, coexistence with, with other people. Yeah. The thing about solitude is that it brings, it, 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 you sort of, you define yourself by yourself, and then that in some ways strengthens your ability to relate to other people. I, I get that. Um, and I sort of, I'm sensing this uh, overall uh, theme here of sort of the balance of being with people and being by yourself throughout this entire episode, A, B, and, and now we're talking about the C plot here, right? Um, whereas Chang, though, what what has happened? Like, he, he thinks that he's getting uh, that that he is relating to other people, his audience, right? But in fact, he's not. He's just relating to himself. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole other, I think, sort of weird tension or psychosis going on with Chang here. So I guess now that we're here, let's talk about that, right? <laughs> like, was he actually not at the theater at all then? Or was something else going on there? Was he actually there and then the rest of the study group just did not notice him there? Yeah, and it's in that case what the reading would be something it's more about sort of feeling invisible or not being acknowledged by um uh not being not being acknowledged by the people around you not having your needs acknowledged being screaming in the thing and being ignored you know running out of the the lobby and being ignored by people um uh you know i don't know i'm i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with uh just crazy plot line that doesn't that doesn't really uh come back much um and really? i mean I, after we, we we made some pretty good connection to it earlier Matt. Like, well, i'm not saying like a, it doesn't belong I'm not, saying it's, here. I'm not saying it's 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 just dropped uh you know like a turd in the punch bowl into the middle of this episode <laughs> but uh I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's going to, I'm not sure that, that Chang's potentially ectoplasmic nature is going to uh, be a recurring uh, question <laughs> on the remaining episodes of, uh, on the remaining episodes of this season. It is a good joke though, with the, uh, the photograph of the writing staff um, right. in the, the old timey photo club, 2014. Yeah. And if you find right. that it's, he's not really focused on in in the uh, uh, in the moving shot uh, that pans over that picture, but that kind of Ken Burns is uh, all over it. But Dan Harmon is uh, like in the right is to the right in that right, in right, that right, picture, right. and you can see him in the on the online versions that have cropped up on Twitter and elsewhere. Yeah. So I mean, it's okay. Old timey photo club, 2014, an obvious reference to The Shining, right? That other famous ghost story where in The Shining, you know, we find that uh, the Jack Nicholson character has been at the hotel or some version of him 
has been at the hotel for decades upon decades, right? And has not uh, and has not aged. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's what this photograph is suggesting that somehow Chang is an immortal ghost. You know, and and like you know has been in a uh, has been in some other place and time uh, in a, in a supernatural way. Like that's not happening. So what is happening? Like at that that photo, probably I, I was desperate to find some hidden truth, hidden some some hidden meaning there that unlocks this whole other explanation for what's going on in this episode. I just I I, I can't find it. You know, I, I I wish we had that to give to our audience, but I don't think it's there. I think that part certainly is just a cute joke that's put into the episode. Yeah, and as I said before, it is kind of counterweight a lot of the heavier stuff in the pre in the rest of the episode. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, one other thing I want to talk about with this with the C plot here with Chang's, uh, uh, you know, series of one man performances is that um, uh, one of the things I think that might have informed the way that this went down is that um, Ken Jung, um, uh, my guess is that he wants an opportunity to stretch himself a bit as a dramatic actor and not be. Uh, just the the uh, the slapstick funny man, uh, exaggerated funny man that he's been known for in his turns in the Hangar Mover movies and Community and the various other things that he's been in. Uh, do you have any sense of that, Matt? Uh, can you relate to that maybe as an actor yourself, a practitioner of the craft? Are you saying that I'm a funny man because I would settle for that at this at this point? Uh, and not being. You had. A, uh, I know the last play that you're in. You had a, a bottle of seltzer water, right? That timeless vehicle for comedy that you sprayed at people. Yeah, it's. You know, it's funny. I've actually. I've been thinking about this. Even. I mean, even when I was young and had all my hair, I was never really a leading man. And you know, you. Everyone goes. Everyone who's an actor goes through a period where, <laughs> where they sort of wonder. I mean, even if it's a thirty-second period. Um, in my case, it was longer. It was wondering like, well, could I do that? Why don't I get the girl at the end? And, and what I've come to realize is that the stuff I get to do is actually a lot more interesting, uh, than, uh, than getting the girl, you know, that, that, that arc is, <laughs> is really, is really constrained, but like, I've been terrible bad guys and, uh, you know, different, different kinds of things. And that there's actually, believe it or not, though, there's less focus on you. There's a, there's like a greater range of, of expressive potential. So I've, I, you know, I don't know, I've got, maybe it's a consolation prize, but I've, I've come to see it as a, uh, as a prize, but yeah, I am, I am pretty much a comedy. I am pretty much a comedy actor, which is not to say I don't have, you know, classical training in, in, uh, theater. Um, but this, I think this, this, uh, distinguishes me and some other actors from Ken Jeong, who was a doctor who became a stand-up right. comic, right? Like, and got in, mm. got into the business, uh, through that. So, so it's not like, you know, I don't know. It's not like he left the Royal Shakespeare company to come to Hollywood and all he's been able to get are these, uh, Asian stereotype roles and kind of like <laughs> light comedy supporting characters. Uh, whereas, you know, he really wants to be giving his King Lear. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, he must, he must think there's something more, but, but doesn't the, I doesn't this sort of mock, uh, one man shows in theater in general, uh, in a way it richly deserves, uh, right to make it this kind of very silly thing that literally no one is watching. Hmm. That's a good point. So just a couple of responses to that, uh, circling back to Ken Jeong's, 
uh, previous career as a doctor. Um, you're right. Not only did he not come from the Royal Shakespeare Company, this is forced into you know a funny man role. You know, he came from being a doctor uh, and then turned to stand up comic. But I, I'm also led to believe that he keeps his medical license current <laughs> just in case this whole acting thing doesn't work out. Um, potentially also, I don't know, to provide medical care on, on a, on a studio set and not be, yeah, it must be, it must be very nice to get your consults right there when you're, uh, I mean, I think he was an internist, right? So you could get like just a routine physical in between setups while they're, while they're lighting the shot, you know, can you, can you imagine that, right? Getting a, um, a routine physical exam from, uh, from, from Professor Chang. Turn your head Like Matt, if you someday had a guest, had a, had a small part on community or a large part on community. Uh, and then, you know, you started complaining about a, a pain or a burn or a rash somewhere and you needed some medical attention right there. Yeah, I would, um, I would, uh, I would Jung. give myself yeah. a small cut and inoculate it with bacteria just so I could go up to Ken Jiang and say, does this look infected <laughs> to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gosh, I, that, I hope that's a story that we can relate on a future edition of this, uh, <laughs> of this recap. But uh, one other thing about, about the whole reason I brought this whole idea up is that um, like there is this, you know, particularly with that exchange he has with his, uh, I guess, with his uh, notional ex-wife or ex-girlfriend. Right. It's like, you know, this is not happening to you. This is happening to us. Right. In that moment, I was like kind of really blown away by the dramatic power of what he was doing. I mean, uh -huh. it might be because it came out of nowhere and, you know, and, and really was not expected and is surrounded by the general no, he also, he nature of a community. Episode. He didn't he didn't F it up. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> right? I thought it was like, great. I thought it was just like it was a real interesting jolt, like a very disorienting moment in an episode that, by and large, was uh, was uh, not disorienting. Is not disorienting is not the right word, but uh, it was in some a lot of ways different than other community episodes. Right? It was yeah. a little, yeah, it was a little really airier. Depths of existentiality. Yeah. It was a little, it was a little airier, and it was a little less manic or a little less. Uh, uh, um, What's the what's the word I'm looking for? I for those of you listening at home, I'm waving my fingers in the air. Uh, it was a little less sort of showy and and circus like, a little less highly energized, I guess is what I mean. Yeah, it, it, so let's put it this way: it, it is the, a very much on the opposite end of the spectrum of episodes like the paintball episodes. Yeah, or, or the hot lava uh, or the hot lava episode. Yeah, which you know are sort of excuses to. Uh, to uh, exercise the imagination, right? To um, to have fun with genres um, and to go on this fun adventure, uh, comedic adventure with characters that you know and love, right? That's not what was happening here. It was, um, uh, you know, exploring deep uh, of you know these these ideas about loneliness, about identity, about how you relate to other, uh, how you relate to others, how um, we uh, how how creators um, relate to their work. Um, and, and, and put it out there in the world. There's just a lot of stuff going on here. I really, really enjoyed this episode. Matt, any closing thoughts before we, uh, we, we, uh, we end this session of the old-time photo club? Wait, you were on this podcast? I didn't see you there. I, I, have I just been talking to my computer for these last 30 minutes? I, I oh. I'm going to go home and have an existential crisis. Um, if, if people are watching this, whether you're ghosts or not, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you come back for the next episode of this because uh, Community uh, has been having a great run in season five. 
and uh, we have been having uh, a great time doing these recaps, or maybe I have been, and uh, this imaginary ghost that I'm talking to is also uh, having a good time in that. Is that right, Matt, or Matt's I, ghost? I, yeah, I sometimes wonder if anybody listens to the... <laughs> If oh, no, no, no. I mean, we look something. at the numbers. We, we see people are out there. <laughs> yeah, and, and we, we do appreciate the audience that we've gotten this and the um, feedback we've gotten from our, 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 our viewers and listeners, ghosts or otherwise. So, um, you know, uh, join us for the next uh, edition of this recap. Until then, uh, leave a comment on the show notes. Um, leave a comment on, on the YouTube videos. Uh, tweet us at Overthinking It. Get in touch with us any way you can. Or otherwise, just visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture and community to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.